This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. I believe that this is a great day, an opportunity for us to be connected to the throne. And uh, if you love worship and you're like, we just got started and you interrupted me, uh, Pastor Nate. You, I was having time with the Lord and, and now you've interrupted me with speaking. Don't worry. We're going to worship here at the end of the, of the service as well. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to connect with the Lord in that way. Today, we're going to do part three of New Future. And the title of the message is this. Restore the center. Restore the center. Now, new future, we've been talking about how as we move into the fall, that we're going into a new era, a new kind of moment in our stories, getting ready for something different. And how are we to approach that? School is going to be starting up. There's a lot of new things going on, even at Emmanuel. The last couple weeks, we opened up our kids' ministry two weeks ago. Hey, would you give it up for all of our kids' teams? Man, they're amazing. Serving, volunteering, and uh, we still need, uh, we've got room for more on each of our locations. Uh, if you want to jump in and help out, we want to invest in the next generation. And uh, this coming week, our Hispanic ministry and our youth ministry is reopening in person, so we're really excited about that and get to get back together again. It's, it's about time, right? It's about time we all get back. Well, as new things emerge, what's that new future look like, and how do we get ready for that? How do we step into that and how do we do it well and we've been looking at some old ancient truth in the scripture in the old testament and we've been specifically looking at ezra nehemiah and haggai three different voices that that god used to speak to the same group of people that had been in exile and as as they were teaching uh, uh, the people of Israel imploring, some of it was a prophetic word, some of it was instruction. We get insight that can help us as God rebuilds our own story. And, uh, and I want to encourage you today that, that your new future requires attention on three things. And we see these three things in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai. The first one is this. We need to have attention on the temple. Meaning, for ancient Israel, temple was the place of worship. It was the people, the place where all the people in the, in the entire nation focused their worship. And so temple is a big part. For you and I, that might be our church connection, our relationship to the church. We need to have a focus in on it. It's an important part of our story. The second part is the city welfare. So they were not just concerned about what happened in the synagogue, so to speak, or in the temple, but they were also concerned with what happened in the case of the city. Last week we talked a lot about Nehemiah looking and observing and seeing the the city tore down, or he heard about it and he prayed. Today we're going to look at where he goes and actually takes a look at that. But we need to pay attention to the condition. You know, your city matters. The school systems matter matter. The, the city government, the condition of the neighborhoods around us. Minnesota matters. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to pay attention to that, not just get caught up myopically into our own story and only think about me and myself. For when it comes to God's vision for our story, it will always include those kind of circles outside of my own place. And then the third piece is our home. Because God is interested in our home, not just our physical buildings that we live in or, or houses, but he's interested in the, the condition of our families and what's going on in the story around us. And you'll hear from the Old Testament, God speaking to each of these things in different ways. 
And I want to talk about those things in just a moment. First, I want to kind of tap back into last week. You remember when Nehemiah heard the story about what was going on in Jerusalem, he wept. He ugly cried. It bothered him. And then he took his, his bad news to the Lord, and, and the Lord began to turn it into good news. And as he did that, there was a transfer that took place. So he prayed it out. But then after that, he takes a visit to Jerusalem. And it was time for him to take a walk and think and observe and see what was really going on. And this is really good leadership. I don't want you to see it in in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. It says, so I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. And I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. I don't know if it was a Chevrolet or a Ford or whatever it was. His donkey. It's a version of a donkey. Verse 13. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. Should have got something different. So I got a four-wheel drive truck or something. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. Now this is what I want you to catch here. Some of you are like, why are you reading the narrative like this? And what does the narrative like this have to do with me in 2020 in your life? Well, this is what you see in Nehemiah is good leadership. Nehemiah practices good leadership. He's not just burdened by something. He steps and he goes and he inspects. He takes a look through the city. He observes what's going on. He's not just bothered. He steps into that space. When you're bothered by things around, you can do the research. You can go look. But as a leader in your family, maybe in the work world that you are in or the community that you're in, don't just sit back and form opinions without building relationships. Step into the space and get to know people, not just have attitudes about those people. Get to know their story. For Nehemiah, he went and he observed and he looked through things. And there's very real places in Jerusalem that he's talking about that he went through. And there was a bit of a journey of inspection. I think every good leader has to do that. Every good leader has to observe and know what's going on. Now, at Emmanuel, we have a number of employees in three locations, and, uh, and they're not always seeing me. Okay, now, everyone gets to see me on Sunday morning because I'm the one preaching and I'm the one on the screen. But these people that are working at Emmanuel, and they're working hard, and you've got an amazing team here at Emmanuel that's working hard to advance the mission and the vision that God has for us. But... If I go over to Maple Grove or to Elk River and I show up on campus and I walk into the kids' ministry, uh, there's something that happens. The people in there go, (gasps) because they're not used to seeing me in that space. It's important for me to understand when I'm making decisions that affect the front lines that I actually go and see what's going on. And by the way, good things are happening in all of our locations. I'm especially excited about what's happening as God raises up new leaders for locations and there's a story being written. It's powerful. But listen, good leaders inspect. And by the way, when you inspect, people actually step, step up and read your email or your story or your instruction through a different lens. If you tell your kids just to clean their room 
and you never look at the room, how many know it's probably not going to get cleaned? But when you show up in their room and you look around and you go, hey, this isn't supposed to be on the floor. You're not supposed to leave the underwear on the top of the bedposts. You know, those kind of things. You start showing them and you inspect. People don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect. And Nehemiah is practicing that. He's showing up and he's seeing what's going on. And as he does, a new plan is beginning to develop. And listen, this happens for all of us. As we inspect the world around us and we think about our families, as we think about the world that God has called us to, a plan will develop. As you partner with God and you're praying and talking to God, listen, the walls will be rebuilt. In Nehemiah's story, he's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in a very short period of time. For you, what are the broken down walls that are in your story? Now, that's Nehemiah. He steps into action, and we might revisit that later in the series because he does some specific things. He faces opposition, and there's things that are obstacles to him fulfilling God's calling on his life. But today, I want to focus even more on another voice that we've been talking about, and it's Ezra. Ezra's the priest. And he's looking at something different. He's not looking at the broken down walls. He's looking at the condition of the people. What's going on in the people's lives? What was missing? What was missing was Israel was missing its most fundamental core element that held everything together. People were disconnected. They lacked unity and they lacked identity. And what was missing was that relationship that the people of Israel had a special relationship with Yahweh, the name for Jehovah God. You see, Israel was created to be a theocracy, a nation led by God. It was a special relationship with God that was seen best in the place where God met with his people in the temple or the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle formed in the wilderness. You remember when Israel came over across dry land uh, on the Red Sea, and Moses led them over, and they went into 40 years in the wilderness. It was in those 40 years that God formed a nation's relationship with God. That's where worship became a part of it, the tabernacle and all of the, the Ark of the Covenant. All of that was built out in the desert, and it kind of formed a pattern, a rhythm for the relationship that they had with the people. Now, that tabernacle and the people moved throughout the desert. So they're on the move. They're living in tents, if you will. And God's fire would go before them at night and be, guard them. And then the cloud would lead them during the day. And there was a supernatural relationship with God. But when they would camp, this is really important to catch. Maybe you haven't caught it in the Old Testament before. They would stop. And at the center of all of Israel was the tabernacle, which represented God's presence. Now, I've got a, a graphic I want to show you. For this is kind of a, a view of how, how they would camp. They would camp. And the tabernacle is in the middle. So that tabernacle, that little yellow box in the very middle, is where the Holy of Holy was. That's where the place of worship was. They would meet with God. And, but you'll see around that on the outside boxes, Benjamin and Manasseh and Ephraim and Gad and Simeon and Reuben and Zebulun and Issachar, Judah and Naphtali and Asher and Dan. All of those are the tribes of Israel. Literally, when they would camp, they would camp around the tabernacle. The center of Israel was literally the presence of God. So wherever they went, the most important thing for them was that God was at the center of what they did. This is very unique, by the way, even for those days. 
In the wilderness, the tent literally had the 12 tribes of Israel camped around that tabernacle. And it represented the presence of God. Worship and sacrifice and healing literally happened in the presence of God. Now, this is a little bit of a history lesson, but I want you to consider that the entirety of the word of God is there for something. It's there to point us in a direction to consider our own ways. As God was building a relationship with people, he wanted those same people to to put himself at the center of their life, their daily life. And when they had God's uh, presence, he promised that he would have healing, that he would have joy for them, that he would give them wisdom, that he would give them insight, and he would lead the people. Later on, when they got into the promised land and, and it was firmly established, the tabernacle moved into a temple, King Solomon built the first temple. And when he built that temple, it became a fixed place in Jerusalem. Now all of Israel, though it was spread out geographically, was to remember that God was at the center of the entire nation. And not just that God was at the center, worship of God and relationship to God was the most important thing. All of life was in rhythm with the Creator, and there was a connection to them, okay? And this is what happened because the presence of God was, was the most important thing to the nation of Israel. In Psalm 1611, this is how it talks about it. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, in your presence is everything that we need. The people of God had everything they needed in his presence. How many believe that's true? That when you're in the presence of the Lord, everything changes. You see the world differently. You hear things differently. You kind of uh, uh, shape up, if you will, and you r- recognize and have a different perspective of life when you're in his presence. How many know what it's like when you don't have God's presence? When you're left alone, you, you have fear in your life. I think America is lost without God's presence in a way right now because fear breaks out wherever God's not there. Okay? And fear comes in. And this is why as a church, we can't have fear ruling our life. We've got to have God's presence ruling our life. In his presence, there's clarity about the day that we live in. And so he has to be at the center of our story. And listen, as Israel was to follow God and they were to have him at the center, one thing led to another over the years where they started moving away from God being the center of their life. And the rhythmic laws of relationship with God were broken, and then they were led into exile, and the nation shut down for 70 years. And they had been run over, their best leaders were gone, and now everyone was living for themselves. They were making money off of whatever. They were no longer worshiping God. The temple had been overrun. And it was dilapidated and no sacrifices or worship or connection, no healing, no God-inspired worship, no encouragement. It shut down. And the rest of the land and the cities and society had lived without worship. Parents had stopped teaching their kids about living a life of worship. The community had no connection to each other through observing the law. And on top of that, whatever government was left behind in the leadership were mistreating the poor and taking advantage of the people in violation of God's vision. 
Now, I've said all of this about the Old Testament. I want you to consider when families lose their center, when faith is not passed on to the next generation, marriages lose their balance, cities lose their core for peace, when we don't follow what the word God talks about with Sabbath in the Old Testament, they would give one day to God and the other six, they could do, have the strength from God to, to live it out. Or they had the tithe and they tithe the 10% to God because God owned it all and they trusted God with the 90% left, left over. When you follow God's ways, you get God's blessing. But when you pull them out, you lose that sense of presence and what God brings to your story. In the last 50 years, America has replaced our center and we don't know how to recapture unity right now. Think about this. Think about what we're gonna go through in the next few months. And politics takes over and everybody's afraid and they're worried about what's going on. They're worried and they're trying to come up with solutions that don't involve the presence of God. Church, those things are gonna go on and when it comes time you pray and you vote, if God calls you to go into leadership in the land and run for office, you do it, I'll bless you. But for the rest of our church, I want us doing what the church is called to be doing. Praying and staying focused and keeping our center. If we lose our center, we lose everything. Over the last few years, when I came back seven years ago to be the lead pastor of the church, I had spent 10 years in education, so I, I hadn't been pastoring, and when I had left, um, originally back in 2003 to go to North Central University. That was an era in the church world where people were going Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek, Wednesday night, and plus a prayer meeting and a small group. They're going all the time. Church people were churched, okay, over-churched in some ways. They weren't connected to the community. But when I came back seven years ago, I, it was a rude awakening for me because the average person attends church in America today one to two times a month total. See, in a seven-year span of time, something had begun to shift. And now the stats are out nationally, even before the pandemic, where people were just optionally going to church. It was no longer a part of the center of family life. It was an option. It had been replaced by sports on Sunday and replaced by vacations and other options options that were out there. None of those things are bad things in and of themselves. What was bad is if they replaced the center. Are you hearing what I'm saying today, church? And because it had replaced the center, the impact on people's lives and on the culture around us and society around us was negative. It's not had a positive impact. COVID then came in and it shut everything down and it gave us a chance to recenter. Think back to March. And in March, everybody had to recenter. We were worried, what's gonna happen next? And I recall looking at the number of views that churches had everywhere. It was spiking to all time highs. People were like, I gotta have church on Sunday morning. I need my family to have church. We don't know what's going on. We need to get right with God. Fast forward a few months. And churches everywhere, the viewership has gone down, and even when we've reopened the doors, people aren't running back to church. What's going on with the church? We're in danger of having lost our center. The core of community that the rest of life revolves around. 
Churches should be filling the needs of the people in our communities. If we've got God's power at the center, we can do it. If not, we don't even care about the community around us. For, for the Old Testament prophets, they were asking the question, what was missing? The center of everything was missing for Israel. The people needed to return to their special relationship with God. And to step into a new future, they had to restore the center. To step into a new future, they had to restore the center. I want you to look at me at Haggai. Haggai talks about this, about what was really going on in the life of these people. He says this, Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. In other words, wake up! You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were put, putting them in pockets filled with holes. Haggai's central message throughout all of his prophecy was consider your ways. Look at what's happening to you. Look at your life. Examine your story. Look at your heart. Where's the condition of your heart? And then he says, in a sense, get back into the rhythm of life in my presence. Get back into the rhythm of my way of doing things. How many know there is a good way to do things? The scripture also says there is a way that seems right to people but it's end leads to death. And for all of us, we need to follow God's way, not just our own way. We need God's presence. And Haggai then begins to say, after you've considered your ways, go rebuild the temple. Just as Ezra said, go back and rebuild it. And Haggai's central message was, consider your ways, and then they did that, and they rebuilt the temple. You might be thinking, Pastor Nate, you're giving me an Old Testament message today. This is boring. I've already nodded my head three times, and I'm tired. And if that was you, I'm sorry. I didn't literally mean you, if you're feeling it right now. But friends, in the New Testament, in the church, we are the temple. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives where? In you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Turn to somebody near to you and say, you're the temple. Okay? In other words, the temple, the people of God, need the center. We need to rebuild some altars. We need to go back and rebuild that central place in our story. And I'm, this is not... This is not to chastise anyone. This is to say this is our great hope. And Paul, furthermore, is not saying this individually, you're the temple. He's saying when the church gathers together in plural, we need each other. That's where the temple is. Jesus said it this way, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there with you. 
Church, our hope isn't sitting back and just watching church online, getting a message as a devotional and moving on. Our hope is when the people of God gather together, if it's one or two, or it's us gathering together in sanctuaries or in small groups, when we get together, God shows up and his presence is what makes us different. It's his presence that changes the world around us. But when we lose his presence, we find ourselves going through religious motions and having critiques of the world around us, and we get prideful. But in his presence, we can't be prideful, for we bow our knee before the one who rules the whole world. So how do we restore the temple? How do we restore the center of our lives? The first thing you need to do is this. Clear the site first. If you're the site, you need to clear the site, to look inward, to think about your life. For the temple, in the Old Testament, this is where we can learn from them. In Ezra chapter three, look what they did. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priest in Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and I'm pronouncing a lot of names and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing them right, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. Rebuilding it. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. In other words, they focused on the rebuild before they did anything else. Hidden within this is the idea that that you got to focus for, for, first on what's most important in your relationship with God, then deal with the other things. And, 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 and prioritizing God's presence in your story. And if the relationship with God is to be restored, the place where the people meet with God had to be fixed. And everyone could move back to Israel, back to their houses, back to their farms, back to their normal life. It would all be for loss if the temple wasn't restored. Think about this. The the virus could go away. We could not have to wear masks. Anybody get excited about that? The day is coming when we're free again. But if we don't retain the center, all is lost. All is lost. If we want to step towards the new future that God is birthing in our heart and partner with God, we have to get the obstacles to God's presence being in our life out of the way. To clear the sight to construct something new. That's what biblical repentance is. It's changing your direction and making room for God. And that's the way it is with any dream. If you're in a place right now where you're examining your heart, thinking about your ways, about your family life, about your finances, about your relationships, then pause and repent and change. Move towards what God wants you to do. Think about your hopes and be willing to remove the things that keep you from the presence of God. For example, Ben and Kathy are a couple at Emmanuel who attend uh, our Connect group. They decided to clear the financial site in their life, the temple, if you will, so that they'd have room for God to move in their story. I want you to watch this powerful story of Ben and Kathy. Hi, my name is Ben Newberg, and this is my wife, Kathy. And we've been married for almost 26 years. We have four kids of our own, and we have been attending Emmanuel for about five years now. 
Our stories are on the financial side of things. Kathy and I have been married for 26 years coming up in November and we've really never been on the same page with money. Anytime, you know, we would talk about it, Kathy would, Kathy would be in charge of the finances and, you know, my head would kind of be in the clouds. I just would ignore it and I, and I just wanted to, you know, put it out of my thinking. That kind of led to uh, a lot of our financial troubles. Part of the problems that got us into it was because of the four kids, we wanted to do everything. We wanted to take them out to eat. We wanted to go to the zoo. We wanted to have memberships. And we just spent, spent, spent and charged it up. We were over $100,000 in debt with non-mortgage. And at that point, we basically just said we were sick and tired of being sick and tired. So when at Emanuel, we, we discovered that financial peace was being offered in January of 2018. Um, and we both knew that we had to do that. We had the classes tucked away under our bed for, for many years and just kind of ignored it and finally decided it was time to take a look at it. So 22 months of our lives, we, we both took side hustles. I drove for Uber. Um, Kathy okay. would watch kids during the, during the day and, and we basically did nothing. Part of the struggle that, that we had was is just saying no to things saying no to vacations, saying no to going out to eat and different things like that, because um, we were so used to doing anything we wanted. Um, and a verse that really stuck out to us as, as we were going through this is, is, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but yields a harvest of righteousness. And, and for us, that discipline and that hard work and those two years of struggle and not doing anything and working hard and working late and being tired um, those were the, were the worst and best two years of our marriage and our lives together. The first thing on the top of the budget is tithe. And the big thing for us is, is we did 23 years of trying to do it Ben and Kathy's way. And, and now, um, you know, putting our, our trust and faith in, in God and knowing that, knowing that he's ultimately what's going to get us out of this was, was a driving factor for us. We had $110,000 in debt, non-mortgage debt. Um, and it took us 22 months to get rid of that debt. And it has been so freeing since that's happened. It was in October of 2019 that we paid the final payment. And it was the most freeing moment of our life just to be here now. Um, we, we also, got our six-month emergency fund put away, and we are starting on paying off our mortgage and getting our retirement going. Um, and we're just thrilled at the point where we're at with grandkids coming and, and just being able to enjoy life a little bit more. You know, we look back and see where we were, and, and we're just glad to be where we're at right now. I couldn't imagine with the uncertainty you know, having the debt that we had and kind of the burden that the cloud that was always kind of hanging over us. The message here is you're never too old. You're never too old to make a decision like this and you're never too young to start. And I think the message of hope is is what we really want to encourage through our, through our testimony. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. See what they did is they looked at the temple and they looked at the obstacles and they said, we gotta do some work. And they looked internally so that they could have a different future. For you and I, we can't keep doing the same things we've always been doing. We gotta look at our own life and our relationship with the Lord and our family and our kids. And what are they catching? 
and our commitments and our rhythms and our rhythm with God, prayer in the home, worship in the home, being committed to faith and church. And church isn't about just attendance for a big group number. It's about keeping God at the center of our story. And for you and I, we need to learn to clear the foundation out, the groundwork of the temple so that God's presence can come. Let me ask this question. What is one thing in your life right now that if you were willing to change would make the biggest difference in your life? I think you probably already know. If there's one thing that would make the biggest difference in your life, then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because if you take that step, it's towards God's best for your life. The second thing that you need to do is build on the right foundation. Build on the right foundation. Ezra 3.11 says, Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Ben and Kathy are free and full of joy because they rebuilt their temple on Jesus. How many know he's the eternal rock, our foundation? He's not going to be shaken. And when it comes to how we do it, Jesus tells us to do the same thing, to build our house, our life on a rock. Look at it, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Friends, we need to build our house on the rock and build it. And if you feel inadequate or like you've already wrecked it, take hope that Jesus is the perfect foundation. It's not your strength, it's his. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Build your house on Jesus. The last thing is this. Learn from the right people. What do you mean? Well, when they went about to building, Zerubbabel, then it says in Ezra chapter 3, verse 7, they, then the people hired masons and carpenters. In other words, they went to the professionals to work on the things that needed to get done. He's clearing the temple mount and the masons quarried new stones and cleaned old stones and carpenters began working on the cedar logs. If you wanna build a custom home, you have to find a professional residential architect or designer. Then you'll need a reputable building contractor. Then you'll need to contract the structural engineers. We need the people in our story that help us in ways that we're weak and we don't know what to do. There are plenty of people who want different results to their life, but refuse to learn from those who are successful in the area of your dream. Your associations will determine your destination. So I want you to consider this in house building. What do I mean by that? Well, friends are like what elevators. They can take you up or take you down. And if you want God's presence more in your story, why not hang around people that are further along in that? People that maybe they're not, not 
the most popular people in different dimensions, but they're people of God. If you want a good marriage, hang out with people that have got a good marriage. People that know how to love each other and have made it through difficult times. If you want to grow as a parent, then look and observe parents that are godly and are raising their kids right. Don't just sit back and go, I don't know how to do it. My parents never sold me. No, in the body of Christ, God has planted us in the house. And we talk about this all the time in Growth Track. But when you're planted in the house, we need each other. We need discipleship. We need a sharpening of each other's skills. We need to grow in our faith. And we do it together. We need to do it together. If you want to meet with God and everyone you are hanging with isn't meeting with God, then how are you going to rebuild your altar, your city? your house. You need to be around people who challenge you spiritually. I'm going to ask Frida Roosh to come here. She's my mom. And uh, I surprised her earlier, so she's not so surprised this time, but she's the most amazing person in my story as my mom. And, uh, and thankfully, God gave me a wife that's good like you, so I, I can't get away from good women. Uh, <laughs> My mom is amazing, and uh, it's amazing. Can you imagine how much bigger I am than her as I was growing up? Uh, uh, my feet, I wear size 14 shoes, and I would step on her feet all the time. She'd go, Nathan, stop it, you know. Watch where you're walking. And, um, we had a lot, of, a lot of different parts of our story, and my brother and my sister and, and uh, mom and dad. And parts of the story, though, that we often don't think about is the impact a parent has on a child. And my mom, she loved the Lord so much, and uh, we had a lot of challenges in our, as I was growing up, lived in five different states, uh, had 21 plus different houses where we lived in, we moved around, had some economic challenges. Remember a time when we did, the, the gas got shut off, and, and we were heating our house with electric heaters in the house for a little bit and I remember a time when um, we just we had to move out within two weeks because the uh, because the land uh, Lord was moving his parent in I think it was and and so we had to scramble as a family and here's the amazing thing about my mom I can recall us going to church week after week and even in the home and she played piano in our house she loved the Lord and no matter what was going on, when she was in the presence of the Lord, I would see tears running down her face. And, uh, and I, I saw this as I was growing up. And there were times in my life when I was like mad at the world. Why don't I have what other families have? Why don't we have the resources other people have? Why are we moving and nobody else is? I was dealing with the injustices of life. And I was trying to grapple with that. And I was angry, honestly, at different points. And I would talk to my mom. And my mom wouldn't respond with, yeah, you're right. This really stinks. I'm mad too. Although she probably felt it. She would say, just trust the Lord, honey. Everything's going to be all right. How could she do that? I'm telling you how she did it was she had her center. Her center was the presence of the Lord. Circumstances didn't affect her on the inside she had a peace that passed understanding. And as a little kid, I watched that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And as I watched my mom just persevere, 
Sure enough, how many know the Lord did work everything together for the good? He moved it all together. And because she was faithful, it wasn't my mom's words to me that changed me. It was my mom's example of God's presence. And now guess what? When I go through life, I hit difficult times and seasons I don't understand. I go back to the presence of the Lord just like my mama did. Isn't that good? Now I want you to consider this. All of her time when I was, until I was 18, and actually until I was 19 when I moved out, those were just ordinary days. But now it's paid off all these decades later because her son is now leading the congregation as a pastor. The impact you're having in your own home right now is immeasurable. Make sure that Jesus is at the center, that you're craving the presence of the Lord, that you remove the obstacles, that you build on a foundation of Jesus, and your kids will too. Can I get a clap for that? Give it up for my wife, my wife and my mom. My mom, I love you. She showed me what a wife should be, and I picked Jody, so we worked out okay. Uh, I'm just saying this today, church. I don't know what your story is, and I don't know what you're walking through, but you and I need God's presence more than we need anything, more than we need dollars, more than we need perfect life, more than we need to get rid of masks. We need God's presence. Can I get an amen to that? We need his presence, and we need to guard it. I'd like you to do something, and we're going to worship here in a moment. Would you stand on all of our campuses? all our locations, would you just stand up? I want to ask you to do something that's very important. I want you to just close your eyes just for a moment. I want to ask the question, if you are away from God and you need to come back, you need to come back to the Lord, today this is your moment. If you need the presence of God back in your life because you've pushed away, this is your moment. If you've never given your life to Christ, this is your moment. You can give your life to Jesus today. You can become that temple for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if that is you today, I want to pray with you. I want, I want you to experience the joy and the freedom. of the In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. I want you to experience that, but you've got to clear the rubble out. You've got to repent and turn and talk to Him. Nobody's looking around, but if you bow your head and close your eyes, and if that is you, you say, Pastor Nate, I need to come back to Jesus or I need to give my life to him for the first time. Just put your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Okay. Okay. I want to lead you in a prayer wherever you're at in each of our locations. If you're joining us, Emmanuel, at home, you can pray this prayer as well. But just repeat it after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sin." And then you rose from the dead. Today, I surrender to you. Thank you for loving me. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise. People come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I want to encourage you, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to take that next step of rebuilding your altar and becoming a habitation for God and really living in relationship to Jesus. 
and we can help you take that next step. If you take out your phone and you just text the word Emmanuel, the 313131 will send you a quick link of what it takes to keep following Jesus. We want you to stay on that journey of following the Lord. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details.